Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, episode four. May 29th, baby. Happy Memorial Day, Cam. Happy Memorial Day, bro. Thanks, man. We just want to appreciate everybody that uh, has laid down their lives for this great country. And uh, Agreed, man. And if it wasn't for those that paid the ultimate price, Anthony and I would not have our freedom, especially to do this podcast, be able to speak freely, and to have our um, First Amendment rights. So very grateful for that and just wanted to take a moment to to recognize those that, that have lost their lives. But jumping into our mix this week, we're going to talk about Congress, White House, and our debt ceiling. Get your money right. Save your pennies. And secondly, we're going to talk about ESPN's top 25 quarterbacks of the 2000s, college quarterbacks. And also, we've got a great interview with Dave South, a sports broadcaster from over 50 years of experience. He's going to bring a lot of great stories to the podcast today, so stick around for that. But before we do that, hit him with that great mix, Anthony. Let's get it. Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, where we dive into the things that matter most to men, like sports, business, and mental conditioning. But we don't stop there. We also incorporate health topics because being a well-rounded dude means taking care of yourself. We're your hosts, Anthony and Cameron, and we're excited to bring you this show where we discuss hot topics and interview experts in their field. Real dudes, just like you. So sit back, grab a donut and maybe some coffee, and join us in the bakery. All right, guys. Hey, it's Anthony with uh, Donuts with Dudes. Been here with Cam. Episode four. Here we are. We're here. It's May 29th, Memorial Day. And uh, we've got some good topics. We've got a great interview coming up. Um, But I'd like to lead this one off uh, because Cam knows a little bit more about this. He actually knows a lot more about this than I do. So um, I know we were talking about some finances and money and America and that sort of thing. So could you please elaborate more on the June 1st and the significance of that date? We're coming up on that here in the next couple of days. And if you guys have been watching the news a little bit, Congress and in the White House right now are kind of in this back and forth battle about our debt ceiling. And as of this weekend, it looks like we've got a gentleman's agreement or a handshake agreement between the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden, but that's still got to get passed by the Senate and the House of Representatives here, um, hopefully this week before what is now our new deadline, which is now pushed back to June 5th. And the way that that works, right, we've got, we have a certain amount of money that our government can spend and and that goes towards our, our military, it goes towards our uh, payments towards Medicare, Medicaid, all kinds of different government programs, Social Security. We spend a whole lot more than than we we bring in, so we keep having to raise our debt ceiling to be able to afford the the the, the nuances of running a government, right? And our government, meaning our Congress and our white in the White House, are at this standstill, this impasse of raising our debt ceiling. And if we don't do this, if we don't raise our debt ceiling, we risk a lot of different things happening. And Janet Yellen, who is our Treasury Secretary to President Biden, is telling us that we're going to run out of money to not be able to afford to pay our debts. And that right there is enough to be like, okay, that's a big deal. Because if we can't afford to pay our debts, if we need to take out more money in the future, what does it look like to people that that are potentially wanting to take out money from us or, or, or to, to buy debt from us, which is basically bonds, government bonds. It brings our rating down and, and nobody's going to want to buy these bonds from us because then we're looked at as a risky investment, right? And that's not a good thing. That has implications on our stock market. It has implications on, uh, on a lot of different things. When we're already kind of in this very fragile state of our economy right now. So just to kind of make this quick, we've got three things that can happen if we don't get this passed that the White House is saying that they're probably going to do. One of those being introducing and minting a trillion dollar coin. So basically they're going to mint this coin, a platinum coin, say it's worth a trillion dollars, give it over to the treasury, and it looks like an injection of cash. Oh, so let me get this straight here. We we got a coin, 
worth a trillion dollars. Right. How big is this coin, bro? <laughs> right. I mean, wh- where is this coin mine? Uh, what uh, did this coin come from? Egypt, bro? Is this from like <laughs> a pharaoh's tomb or something? Man, come on, dude. The Sphinx. Right. What, what are we doing here? That's got to be a lot of platinum to get up to to trillion dollars. No, but I, the, the whole point is, is that they're just basically saying that this little coin is going to be worth a trillion dollars, so that the, the treasury has that much money to spend. So it's similar to cryptos and how they hated on cryptos, right? I'm, I'm sorry, bro. I'm just going to play this because uh, it's very silly to me. Think about this, right? You have to have a great credit score to get a good loan, buy your first house, your cars, whatever. You got to pay taxes. You got to do all this stuff for money. The United States rebelled against Britain because of taxes and money. We're coming here, right? And then the government can't pay its own debts, bro. Like, what, what is going on here, man? It, so the good thing about this is this has never happened, right? There's been uh, 17 times where we've had to raise our debt ceiling, and every time we've we've gotten this thing passed and it's worked, right? So that, that we got that going for us. However, it just it, all economists that have looked at all three of, of these options, and I haven't gotten to the other two yet, but they've all said, that, you know, these are big time economists that that are they're working at Harvard, Princeton, and just kind of big names, Nobel laureates. And they're saying like, yeah, this could work, but it, this is not a good thing to do. Like, there's a lot other long-term implications that could happen if we decided to bypass the debt ceiling and, and raising it. Right? Right. I can kind of see the same thing, bro. It's like, hey, uh, I'm maxed out on my credit card. What am I going to do? Oh, um, can, I get, can I increase my limit for my credit card, please? Can I need more money, dude? I'm sorry. I can't pay you right now, but I need more so I need you to give me a higher limit. Right. It's just silly, but it, go ahead. It is. It's like you got a $15,000 limit on your credit card. You maxed it out. Oh, hey, man, can you can, can I get some more of that credit? You got someone coming up to you, scratching your neck. You know, can I get some more of them credits, bro? <laughs> like, no. That doesn't make sense. Oh, man. But anyways, the, the two other ways is it, they're talking about invoking the 14th Amendment, which basically states that the United States will not default on its debt and it will make right on its debt on its debt and um it has better language than that but that's just in layman terms and then there's this thing called premium bonds where they resell bonds that have already become to maturity and they've already been paid back but they re-release those same bonds back out into the market at a higher value but also have a higher yield meaning you're going to get a bigger return Let's say it was a 3% on the original bond, but now they're going to come back and they're going to give you 6%. So you're going to make twice as much on the return than you did on the original bond. So, but like I said earlier, a lot of different top economists are coming out and saying, yeah, this could work in the short term, but this is not a good feasible plan in the long run. So really hope Congress, White House can really come together in these next couple of days and get this debt ceiling thing figured out. Um, you just We really got to come to the table, play nice in the sandbox, and, and really get this thing going. Dudes, what do you guys think? We'd like to know what you guys think about the debt ceiling and what's going on with all of it. Uh, look, look for the link in our show notes and drop us a line. And if you also think anything's real funny about this, man, put some jokes in there too. You know what I'm saying? We need to laugh. So for our second story today, ESPN released the top 75 quarterbacks of the 2000s. And Anthony and I were taking a look at it and just kind of wanted to put our two cents on this list. And um, Anthony, you're the one that found this article. So I was on Twitter one day and I was just kind of browsing. Or Actually, I think I saw, I, I really can't remember where I saw it from, but um, it was just in the headline that uh, Baker Mayfield was the top quarterback of the 2000 era. And it just, you know, made me scratch my head a few times because I'm like, you know, he was a good quarterback, but I could name a bunch of other guys, too, that were very influential and that maybe had better stats or years or won a national championship. Right. So just going into that, I was kind of looking at a couple of other things, too, because, you know, now with the transfer portal and, um, you know, there's really uh, a lot of different things that go into why players 
stay with their university that recruited them the first time. Um, so I just thought it was interesting that, you know, with Baker Mayfield uh, being number one, that, you know what, he was a transfer portal guy and, and uh, he started with Texas Tech at the Raiders and then ended up at Oklahoma. So I thought there was something interesting to look into there. I can see here, I mean, you got Baker Mayfield, Cam Newton, those two were both transfers. Yeah, kind of going back to your Baker Mayfield, I mean, not, I'm not hating on the dude because dude was a great quarterback, great college quarterback. Um, definitely deserves to be in the top five, in my opinion. But uh, you got two at Cam Newton, three at Vince Young, four at Tim Tebow, five at Joe Burrow. Um, I think Joe Burrow at number five definitely is way too low for me. And um, But I think that the four following Baker Mayfield I think should be ahead of Baker Mayfield um, because each one of those actually won a national championship. I mean, even Deshaun Watson at six also won a, a national championship. Right. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I hadn't really been able to look into this list as to how they actually ranked them, what, what they looked at and all that, but just going off of observation and being a, a student of college football, man, I just, I don't buy the number one with Baker Bayfield. But going back to your point, it is really interesting that of the top 10, just kind of scanning this list, there are four folks that were transfer quarterbacks. Right. You know, one other thing I was looking at and I was interested in seeing is just uh, how many of those top 10 guys, let's just take a top 10, how many of them were Heisman winners? Because I feel like if you're, the, if you're a top quarterback of that season, it's a good chance you probably won the Heisman. Top 10, you're right. So eight out of the top 10, Marcus Mariota did win. Robert Griffin won. Lamar Jackson won. Kyler Murray won. Joe Burrow, Tim Tebow, and Cam Newton, and Baker Mayfield all won the Heisman. So I guess the, the two that didn't win, Vince Young and Deshaun Watson. Yeah. All, all top-tier quarterbacks, man. You know, but, you know, as, you, as we all know this, now that we, if you, if you watch football, it's kind of like, it doesn't really translate to the next level a lot of times. And I feel like Baker Mayfield is a prime example of that. I, I do like his story and everything, but at the same time, he just wasn't one of those elite guys to me. Um, could also do, could also have something to do with the fact who he's played for, you know? Yeah. Not really a fan of those teams either. And <laughs> it, it is what it is. But um, one notable guy I really do like is number 13, Johnny Manziel made the list. Whoop. And uh, just a little history of that. Um, most people won't know this, but Donuts with Dudes in 2012 was uh, actually just a senior men's group that I had gotten asked to go do for uh, the hospital. One of the hospital uh, systems in town had a, has an AL, assisted living. And they said, hey, man, would you like to come do a men's group? And I said, absolutely. I said, what do I need to do? And they said, hey, just you want to play cards, if you want to bring uh, games, whatever, just visit with the the men for an hour. I said, all right, bet. So Johnny Manziel was in the headlines. Aggies were doing their thing. Uh, he was a top runner, you know, Heisman runner at that point. And, um, so I said, let's, I'm going to bring some donuts and coffee and we're going to put on ESPN and I'm going to talk Aggie sports and we're just going to enjoy not anything but sports. And that's kind of where we landed. And, uh, now here we are, dude. It's a brainchild of what we're that's doing today. Exactly what happened. So, yeah, it, obviously, I think we're probably a little biased when it comes to Johnny, but sure. um, th there's a few folks here at the bottom of the, just looking at the top 25, there, there's a couple here that I think that, man, and, and kind of looking at the top 10, like, man, I think that we could probably do a little bit of adjusting here. I think Johnny at 13, definitely I don't know that he deserves to be in the top five, but I think he deserves to be in top 10. I would agree. You know, um, also looking looking at um Bryce Young at 19 pretty low for Bryce Young in my right. opinion man i think the dude's pretty outstanding i think he probably deserves to be in the top 10 and to a tag of aloha i mean i that dude was a genius with the football man and if we're just talking about college right and i think that's what they're going off of years not what they went off and did in the pros but just college performance man i think to a tag of aloha at 21 that's kind of low. And there's a couple other folks that we could probably bring up, but a lot of great names on this list, a lot of great competition. 
I mean, Jalen Hurts, too. I think he's way underrated there. Yeah, 25, that's pretty low. Yeah, there could be some shuffling, moving around. I think I'd put him in the top 15. Put Bryce Young in the top 15. Put Tua in the top 15. It's going to shift some folks down, but... Kind of odd here, and, and, I, and I'll tell you what, in this, I also think Colt McCoy at 12 probably is a little bit low, too, being a Texas Longhorn. It might be just a little bit too low. I mean, I don't, I don't think he needs to be moved a little bit higher, but I see a couple of names ahead of him that I think he probably could move ahead of and just what he did in college football. Yep. So, I don't know. Guys, take a look at this. We're, we're on on3.com right now, and they're, rank, or they're talking about ESPN's top 25 list. But I would like to know what you guys think, too, as well. Put that in the show notes. Um, even if you want to put together your top 10, we, we'd love to see it. Shoot us an email, info at, at Donuts with Dudes, or just follow the link to our website. And dudes, we normally do a third segment on each show where Anthony and I like to dive into a hot topic, but we've got a really good interview for you guys today. And Anthony and I had a really good conversation with our interviewee and it went a little long, but we want you guys to, to have a little bit more time to listen to that interview because not only is it great content about sports broadcasting, but it's just about life too as well. And we really didn't want to take away from our interviewee. So for this show, we're going to skip our third segment and spend a little bit more time on our interview. At some point in our adult lives, we may have to turn our attention to the needs and safety of our parents and grandparents as they age. They've done so much for us, and it's our turn to make sure they have the best quality of life. I founded HomeSpark because seniors deserve to have the very best care available, so they can age with dignity and remain independent longer. Our caregivers provide wellness checks, companionship, transportation, meal preparation, and more of what you think is important. To learn more about our personalized care plan, visit us at homesparkcare.com. HomeSpark. We care for people. Well, dudes, welcome to the interview portion of our show. We have an esteemed guest with us here today, and uh, a man here in Aggieland that probably needs no introduction. If you just hear his voice, you probably would recognize exactly who he is. He has over 50 years of broadcasting experience, the majority of that here in, in Bryan College Station in Aggieland, and he's also the author of the book, You Saw Me on the Radio. I'm going to play a little snippet and see if you guys can guess who this guest is with us today. For over three decades, his voice has brought the 12th man, the Aggies gridiron story. There's a handoff to Jackson. He did not make it. Steps up into the pocket. He fumbled the ball. He got it back. Now he's throwing in zone. Wide open. Touchdown. Touchdown. The moment you hear Dave South, you know A&M is on the airway. Gonna throw here to Parker at the 20, at the 15, at the 10, at the 5. He is all the. He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! He got a touchdown! He got it in! He got it in! He got it in! Oh, doctor! A salute to Dave South. This fall is his final football season in the booth. There you have it. We have with us in the studio, or in the bakery, I should say. Dave South. Welcome to the show, Dave. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So we brought you in because obviously you're you're a legend in, in everybody's right mind as far as Aggie football and basketball goes. And so let's talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. And you know, as as the voice of of AM sports for for many, many years, you've witnessed numerous memorable moments. Can you share a couple of those with us and just what some of those were maybe really impactful for you. Well, the uh, the one you just played uh, with uh, the championship game there in St. Louis, that's one that obviously does get a lot of play. Uh, and I was honored in that uh, there was a gentleman who wrote a book, and it was the 100 greatest calls of college football. And he had many of the actual calls that uh, they had recorded. And obviously that was one that he included, so I was honored that they did that. And there were some great calls in there, the the best one was that, uh, I guess it was Cal-Stanford game, uh, when uh, the band ran out on the field, but the game was still going. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. And they ended up losing the game because of the band. Because uh, they're trying to make a tackle with the guy with the ball, but he was using band members to uh, shield off any defenders. 
And uh, that was one of the funniest broadcasts. I've done. That's, a, that's a clip right there that I could listen to forever and ever, and I will laugh every time I hear it. But uh, anyways, I that that was in there. But that uh, that game in St. Louis was a big game. Um, you know, you didn't expect to, to win that game. What had happened was uh, we uh, had didn't have our uh, – Randy McCown was supposed to be the quarterback. He was hurt and couldn't play. Brandon Stewart had to start. And he's a good quarterback, don't get me wrong. But he was not the starter. And then the backup quarterback was Shane Leckler, who had been a quarterback in high school, and uh, he's our punter. Well, there was a play on a third down that uh, Stewart got hurt, and they had to come out and carry him off the field. We weren't sure that he was going to be back for the next series. And as I looked down on the sideline, Ray Doerr was our quarterback's coach, and uh, Shane had gone in and punted. He came to the sideline, and uh, he sat down, and Ray was helping him take off his punting shoes and put on his quarterbacking shoes because we thought he was going to be in there. And that was, that was it as far as quarterback's concerned. Well, didn't think much about that, but at the end of the game, we, we won, and Ray was out by the bus. We were loading the bus in, there in St. Louis and going out to the airport. And um, I asked Ray, I said, what was going through your head when you were putting those quarterback shoes on Shane Leckler? And he said, I looked up at that scoreboard, and he said, Lord, please don't let it be 100 to nothing. And I don't think they had much confidence in Shane. <laughs> All right, well, fast forward, and uh, we were playing, I think it was Arizona, Arizona State down in Houston in, that NR, in the NRG game. And uh, Shane was down on the sideline, and I invited him to come up and be on the pregame show, which we, we did live, and I had anticipated doing that. But I brought him up there. And we started uh, talking, and I said, i got to tell you something. And I told him the story about Ray Doerr telling me, Lord, please don't let it be 100 to nothing. And Shane said, I don't blame him because uh, as he's putting those shoes, I'm getting my quarterback shoes on, I look at him and I said, Coach, don't call any passing plays because I don't remember what they are. (laughs) (laughs) So we were going to run the ball (laughs) the rest of the day, and that was lights out for us. But uh, as it turns out, uh, Brandon was okay, and he went back in, and Shane never had to go out onto the field as our quarterback. But that's one of those little stories that people don't know about, that he had worked that week uh, as the backup quarterback. But they're trying to cram you know, all those plays into his head, and he had quarterbacked in high school. So that's a, a memory right there. Uh, and I think that um, the, uh, the Johnny Manziel game against Alabama I just, uh, I was driving, we were driving over there. Was, uh, a friend of mine gave me a ride. We stayed in Birmingham, team did. And we were driving over to uh, Tuscaloosa, and we were listening to NPR. And, and so there was a, it was a show, a science show. And uh, the guy um, that was the, the, uh, the guest, he said, that's like catching lightning in a bottle. And I looked at the fellow that was driving the car, and I said, you know what? We're going to win the game today, and I'm going to use that expression lightning in a bottle and sure enough we won the game and i said aggie's just caught lightning in a bottle and it came off npr radio and he was borrowing it from somebody else but nobody really knew that (laughs) but uh and you know what um the uh that particular game uh i think was one of the best games i've ever seen um because we're in uh foreign territory you know um, and their their fans are as loud as our fans and it, it was a tough place to play Nobody expected us to win that game, yeah. but we did. And I had a, a lead-up to that. Uh, there was a gentleman that I went to church with uh, over at Central in, in uh, Bryan College Station, and uh, he was a Alabama grad, and he was in part of this group that we met on Fridays and had lunch together, about 10, 15 guys that got together and had lunch. And uh, he looked at me, he sat beside me, and he said, you guys are going to learn what, what football is all about for the very first time ever. Really? Yeah, he said, if you win three games, you're going to be lucky. You just have no idea how tough it is over in the SEC. And I said, no, you know what? I think we're going to be okay. Like how? And I said, I just think we're going to be okay. We'll win at least eight games, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we don't win nine or ten games. You just watch and see. And he said, you want to bet on that? And I said, yeah, I sure do. I said, what do you want to bet? And he said, well, you name it. I said, how about... The loser has to buy him a steak dinner at his choice of restaurants, and the loser has to sit there and watch him eat his steak. Oh, You can't buy one. And so he said, that's a deal. Well, uh, 
we won eight games pretty quick. And I don't think we had won that uh, that ninth game. I'm not sure where, where we were as far as wins and losses when we played Alabama. But um, we were about to go over and play Alabama. And he said, you're going to get your clock clean this week. Boy, the tide's going to roll over you guys. And I said, okay, I've already won the one bet. You want to go a second bet, two stakes? And he said, yeah, I do. And so we, we shook on it. And sure enough, we went over there and won that game. And um, as soon as the game ended, I had my cell phone, and we were in a break, and I called him, and he answered, and I said, Doug, yeah, it's Dave, um, Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I hung up on him. <laughs> so anyway, he said, yeah, you were right. But uh, nobody expected us to do well, but we did. And I'll say that uh, I had a guy asking me the other day, who's the greatest athlete that you've I think that one season, Johnny Manziel was as good as anybody that I ever saw play. Um, he never got a clean hit on him until we played Sam Houston. I don't know if you remember the play, but it was the the second year. Uh, I don't think it was the first year. Well, anyway, there was a late hit on Johnny, but it was out of bounds. And so there was a 15-yard penalty. Well, that was the only time that somebody got a, a, a direct hit on him, uh, but it was a penalty. So that, you know, that really, I don't count that one. But I used to think it was so funny is that um, they had every receiver that was on the team knew exactly what to do and where to go in the event that the, uh, the, the uh, protection, the blocking for Manziel broke down. And Johnny knew where they would be. And so he knew where to go because he knew that that receiver is going to be over there and uh, he'll block for me. And so I always thought this happened more than, than once. Johnny would be, he'd, he'd see there was nobody to throw to and he would take off. And um, so the receiver is being covered by the defender for whoever we were playing. And he could see those defenders sometimes. <laughs> they, got, they got there facing the receiver and they got Manziel at their back. And you could see him go, who was that? Well, that's Manziel. <laughs> and he just ran right by him. But that's how they, they the blocking scheme worked. And that was specifically designed for Manziel and his running ability. And uh, he truly had the, uh, he had a Heisman year that year, and that was proven in the voting. But, uh, you know, there's uh, been some others. Dat Wynn was uh, a great player. Um, I, I, I loved uh, Rodney Thomas. I thought he was uh, – we lost him way too soon. Another player that I loved was uh, Steve Solari. He and Steve were walking toward Kane Hall, and um, I was behind them. And all of a sudden, I just ran by him, and when I did, I grabbed Rodney by the back of the shirt and pulled him backwards, and then I kept going. And as I went by him, I turned around, and I said, I, I can always say I caught Rodney Thomas from the back. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, I, I love that guy. And I had a good relationship with a lot, of, uh, a lot of the players. I got closer to the kickers than anybody else because they had more spare time. They weren't doing much until the end of practice. So I was down down there and talked to them. And but, you know, the the uh, game against uh, Auburn in the Cotton Bowl, stopping uh, Bo Jackson like we did, um, the Baylor game, uh, the 19, I guess it was 80 or 81 game, but maybe you played Baylor here in College Station, and um, we won it 31-30. to 30, um, And uh, they, they voted that game the best game of the decade. Um, and Baylor really had a chance to win that game if they had kicked a field goal right before halftime. But the, the Baylor coach, Grant Taft, elected go for it on fourth down. And if they had kicked the field goal, we wouldn't have won the game if all things remained the same. Mm. They, they went for it on fourth down, and they didn't make it. We got the ball, and I think we were uh, backed up pretty close to our goal line. I don't know, maybe the 16, 17-yard line, somewhere in that area. And we drove and scored before halftime. And that, to me, was the difference in the game of them electing not to go, for, not to kick the field goal. So that was a game I'll always remember, um, because there was such a rivalry at that time between Baylor and uh, and Texas A and M. And then some of the Texas games, you know, I'm, uh, those were those were great. Anytime we beat Texas, I was always happy. Bonfire and, game, uh, right? Yeah, the bonfire game is. Uh, um, you know, I've, I've said this many times when I've been interviewed, and they've asked me about that game. Um, I never, ever prayed, God, let us win this game. I just think God's got more important things to do than cares about who wins or loses a football game. And I always just pray, don't let anybody get hurt, and uh, God have good sportsmanship. 
uh, in the stands and let's all get along. Let's not have a problem. But I think that day, that particular game, we were hurting as a, as a university and as, as former students of this university. I think God cared who won that game because we needed it, that we were hurting and we needed something to ease the pain. Never get over that. Uh, you know, we'll, that's something that we think about. We'll walk with a limp the rest of our lives because those were 12 young people that were cut down at an early age. But, um, and then uh, Brian Gamble out there on his knees holding that football up. That's a great picture. I mean, I don't know who took that shot, but that was a shot. Um, but that game, the bonfire game, and then in other sports, uh, you know, anytime we were we made the NCAAs because we were, we were hard-pressed to do that. Uh, and then baseball, anytime that we went to the College World Series, and I, I went to the College World Series four times with A&M, I think those were our four best teams. I know a lot of people would say 89. But if your ultimate goal is to go to the College World Series, then the teams that went to the College World Series are probably our four best teams. How I feel about it. That's some some people would disagree, but I, that's I mean if you if you're there really to go to the College World Series, then that's your goal, and you made your goal. Those those were some good baseball teams back then. You had uh, remember Jeff Granger? Oh yeah. Uh, who else? Um, Knobloch. Knobloch. Or... Yeah, Chuck was a good player. Um, we had Casey Fossum was uh, another that uh, I liked. Um, got real close to John Sheshik. Uh, we're still great friends to this day. I talked to him a lot. Um, Stephen Truitt, uh, infielder that we had. Uh, but uh, those are some good teams. Baseball is a fun sport to do because uh, um, baseball players are crazy. Uh, <laughs> and so I know that we used to do a contest that if we hit a home run, if you were the third caller for the radio station, uh, you have a pizza delivered to your house. Well, Terry Taylor was our second baseman. And the minute he saw the ball and had the chance to go over the fence, he would run up into the, the hallway, into the uh, ramp, back into the locker room, and call the radio station trying to win that pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and so I always wondered what the coach would have thought if all of a sudden the Domino's guy shows up. Is there a Terry Taylor here in the, in the, in the dugout with a pizza? But uh, that's how crazy baseball players are. Um, you, you, talk, you touched a little bit on your interaction with athletes and coaches and maybe some that you created some special bonds with. And can you uh, elaborate a little bit more, whether it's with athletes or coaches, or maybe there's a special instance with maybe someone that's just a fan that you can bring up. That's just really memorable to you. Well, I mean, uh, I worked with some coaches. I really liked RC, um, was my favorite coach. Uh, and then I would say that Mike Sherman was another Billy Kennedy is another. Um, and, and I'm, I guess the coach that uh, I really got close to was Rob Childress. And Rob, even though the other coaches uh, didn't do this, but Rob did a, a, a job, his whole, my whole relationship with him, he made me feel like I was a part of the team all of the time. And, uh, you know, they get busy sometimes. They don't think about the radio announcer. But with baseball, I traveled with them, you know, and we traveled on small planes. Um, and so I was right there and then, you know, in the plane with them and, um, uh, and I, I did, uh, radio shows with, uh, with, with Rob and got real close to him. But RC obviously is a coach that I'm still close to today. We still talk a lot. And, uh, now, you know, I've said this uh, publicly before. I don't think he should have been fired. I also don't think that, uh, Mike Sherman should have been fired. Uh, I think that was a mistake, but it's done and it's done and you move on. But, um, uh, Mike, uh, what I liked about Mike Sherman was his sense of humor. He had a great sense of humor. When we hired him uh, to come back and be the head coach, there was a press conference over at uh, Bright. And um, as he's walking out of the room, I went down there, and I said, I'm glad you're back, and we shook hands. And he said, you know how people say all of the time that uh, they would turn down the sound on the television and turn up the radio so they could listen to you? I said, yeah, I've had people say that. I never turned the sound down on the television. <laughs> so I said, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that was his sense of humor. Yeah. Because, you know, he left for a year and went to uh, UCLA with Bob uh, Toledo. And uh, I walk into the uh, video lab, and he's sitting in front of a screen, and he's watching video of plays with A&M. I, I didn't think it was him at first, and I kind of moved around. I said, Mike? I turned around, yeah. I said, what are you doing here? Well, I'm back working for RC. 
You are. You only stayed out there one year. Why? Because they don't have study halls. I said, what? They don't have study halls. What does that have to do with anything? He said, they don't have study halls because those players are so smart. You can't win football games with players that smart. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that's really. And then there are some other instances where he, we had an exchange of letters one time, and I won't go into that, but uh, it was really. But I love Mike and, and RC and Rob. Um, with the sports media landscape, um, you know, how much it's evolved and changed over the years and the rise of social media and streaming platforms, how do you think these changes um, have impacted the roles of sports commentators? Well, um, you know, one of the things that I, um, I don't like, um, and I think that, and I tell young broadcasters that I, that I talk to, don't go to chat rooms. You, need, you don't need to go and read any of that. Here's, here's what I've said before when I've gone to speak, and I, and I still say this if I feel like I've got a room that, that includes some of those folks that go in these chat rooms, that I would consider myself, this is just me, I would consider myself a flat-out coward if I went on there and I didn't use my name. I have a real problem with people that hide behind you know, fictitious names. If it's worth saying, then it's worth saying you said it. When I said something on the radio, they knew it was Dave South. Uh, now, it can, you know, be Hayseed. You know, Hayseed said that. Well, who's Hayseed? We have no idea who Hayseed is. And has Hayseed ever played the game or ever coached the game? There was a guy uh, that told me one time that two guys were arguing. And uh, they said, what do you know about football? Well, I played in the eighth grade. Oh, that, you know, that... I would think pretty soon now you're probably going to be in the NFL Hall of Fame. I can see how that's going to happen. But uh, they don't, you know, you take criticism like that. Um, and I, I didn't go. Now then, you don't know sometimes how it's affecting somebody. My granddaughter was doing a paper on me, and I didn't know she's doing it. And she called, and she said, Poppy, um, you know, I'm doing And she was in the eighth grade, I think. And I'm doing a paper on you. And she said, I went online. She said, there are some people saying some really bad things about you. You know, that's affecting your family. Come on, these, all of these people you're criticizing, uh, you know, that's, that's their livelihood. You think their wives and their children aren't looking at that? You know, how would you like it if, you know, I came in and stood over you guys in your office every day and criticized everything that you did? Well, you made a mistake right there. You didn't handle that phone call very nice. Uh, in that uh, meeting you had with that client the other day, boy, you were lousy. Uh, how would you like that? You don't like it. And, but it's not just between the two of us. Now you put it on the Internet, and everybody sees it. Now all of a sudden these people start agreeing with you. And if you wanted to get somebody started on uh, just bring up the Internet and, and uh, chat rooms, when Billy Gillespie was here, he'd tear right in the middle of you because, boy, he was really against those chat rooms because you're gutless if, if you're not using your name. Now the other thing, too, I want to, I want to mention this because I think this is important. Um, you know, these are amateur athletes. Well, not so much anymore because of the NIL. But I had a lady come up to me. It was a mother of one of our players who had been redshirted that year. And um, she said, um, I am going to do the same thing next year when my son gets to play that the other mothers do. And I said, what's that? And she said, they wear headsets. They listen to you on the radio because it drowns out the negative things that they're saying about our sons. You know what? There's nothing I, I think could, uh, that could get any matter or cause you more problems than as an irate mom. Uh, and so don't talk about Junior that way uh, where they can hear you. And they sit in the stands and they make, they make critical remarks about this kid. Uh, he's doing the best he can. He didn't mean – I've never seen a practice where the coach said, okay, all the quarterbacks, I want you to throw interceptions the rest of the day in practice. Never seen that. We didn't coach that. Or, hey, uh, miss a tackle. Start missing tackles. Or, hey, let's fumble the ball every time. And you kickers, uh, shank, you punters, uh, shank one. Start shanking all of your punts. We didn't coach that. Uh, and, uh, and, and fans expect that to be perfect every time, and that's not happened. I can tell you now that I don't think I've ever had a broadcast, and, and I like Keith Jackson when he said, I never did a broadcast that I did not make a mistake, two or three or four or five or six of them. And he said, if I ever have a mistake-free broadcast, 
I'm retiring the next day. Uh, and I listen, you know, I'm a big major league baseball fan and I listen to these broadcasts and I hear some of these guys who are major league announcers. They get the score wrong a lot. Uh, they'll get the count wrong. They'll get the outs wrong. Uh, all of these things. It's just, it's live. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's recorded, I can go back and you know, correct the mistakes and then we will air it after we've gone back and done all the corrections. And why you expect me or any announcer to go through and not make a mistake? That's beyond me because you don't do that in anything. Everybody that has a job somewhere, you're messing up somewhere maybe multiple times each day. So that's my take on it all. And I think that, um, that the uh, social media, you gave, you gave some people who don't know anything about the sport a voice. And unfortunately, you probably have some people out there going, you know, that guy's right. He's exactly right. That's what that coach is doing right now. Yeah, that guy's right. And so now I've got a platform because some guy who's not identifying himself just made a comment and you agreed with it. That's me. Yeah, a lot of people become heroes when they get behind a keyboard and can hide behind their computer, huh? <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, uh, I, I love this. And this happened a long time ago. And I don't know if you guys remember a coach named Abe Lemon, basketball coach. Uh, started out at Oklahoma City University, went down to Pan American, and eventually ended up as the coach at Texas. And one of the writers at the end of a, broad, of a, a game one night, they were in the post-game press conference, and um, one of the writers said, you know, you took the red shirt off of Billy Johnson tonight. Um, that's a freshman, and that was a pretty important game, and you put him in at a really critical time. Weren't you afraid that you were going to mess with his psyche? and could ruin him for the rest of his career here at Texas, at uh, University of Texas. Weren't you afraid of that? And Abe always had, in those, those press conferences, he always had an unlit cigar. And he would lay, sit there and he would roll it, you know, and, and he'd have it in his mouth and he would roll it back and forth. And, he'd, and he took the cigar out and laid it down and he said, you know, when they put me ashore at Iwo Jima and those bullets were flying over my head, and my fellow Marines were dropping like flies, and we were laying on that beach, and we were being killed in large numbers. I can remember laying there and saying, Lord, thank you that I'm not coaching college basketball. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Uh, that, I mean, good gosh, come on. Don't, don't be that way. Uh, the kid, I think, did a pretty good job when he got in that game that night. So moral of the story, have some grace. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, my gosh. Yeah. So, and that's a reason that uh, I can't – if I wanted I – don't, I don't go to games um, because I, I always felt this way. If you're at a game and you're in the press box, you need to be doing something. You don't need to be up there as, as Joe Fan. So have something that they've assigned you to do or you're there to record an interview at the end, whatever happens. But just to go up there and sit, I, they would give me a seat. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. And I'm not going to sit in the stands uh, because I'm sure that um, somebody would say something <laughs> that I disagree with. Uh, and the most valuable thing in my life is my relationship with Jesus Christ, and I don't want to hurt my witness. <laughs> and so I would uh, – that's the reason I, go, I won't sit in the stands. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Um, a lot of people don't uh, know that you and I actually have a history of from work. Uh, I'm sorry everything I ever did to you. I really apologize <laughs> to that. Well, you know, uh, just it, it helped me so uh, professionally and spiritually and just in a lot of uh, ways um, just to help me get through uh, my last year of college. So yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I was just um, wanted to touch base on, you know, what advice do you have for maybe some young guys? Because honestly, this, this podcast is Donuts with Dudes. It's about guys, men's health. Um, sports, you know, everything. It's kind of what we want to do is send um, men in the right direction. Okay. Um, and this would be a, it's going to be a baseball story. And it all started at an FCA breakfast back in the 70s at a hotel in Omaha, Nebraska uh, at the College World Series. Um, and the speaker that day was going to be and was uh, Pee Wee Reese, who was uh, with, the Los with the Brooklyn Dodgers shortly with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And uh, I was, when it comes to somebody like Pee Wee or Jackie Robinson or Roy Campanella or Duke Snyder or Gil Hodges, I'm a fan. I mean, I really am. Boy, I just, I, I, I couldn't believe that I was sitting there watching in person Pee Wee Reese. When he got through that day, 
uh, he was signing autographs. And every time somebody would get behind me in the line, and I'm not an autograph seeker, I don't, I don't like that. And uh, as it comes to a Dodger, and especially somebody like Peewee, I would move to the back of the line. I kept moving back every time somebody would get behind me. And finally, I was the last person. And um, so I finally got up there, and I had the program from that morning, and I said, uh, you know, thank you very much for waiting around and letting us get these autographs. And he said, what do you do? I said, actually, I'm a broadcaster. I'm here to broadcast the College World Series. Are you really? I used to watch you and Diz on, uh, on the CBS Game of the Week. And he said, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I'm going to go back up, back to bed, because I've got a late game. And he said, do you like to have some coffee? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get to sit here and talk to you. That man, when they went in the coffee shop at that hotel, and that man, um, uh, for an hour, maybe an hour and a half, sat there and answered every single question that I had about the Brooklyn Dodgers. But I asked him this question, and, and I want everybody to listen to what I'm saying here. See if you catch the, catch the gist of what uh, he was saying to me. And I said, from the time that you started to when you finished, and he was coaching with the Dodgers when he finished. He only wore a Brooklyn or a Los Angeles uniform his whole career. I said, what was the biggest change that you saw? He said, when I first started playing baseball, and it went on you know, quite till late in my career, when the game ended, we'd go into the locker room, and they always have a big uh, spread of food for the players at the end of the game. They go in, they said, we would go in, and we would sit down, and we would go over that entire game. What we could have done wrong, what we, what we did wrong, what we could have done right, how would you change this? And he said, that's how we grew as players. And he said, then, as it started to wind down and I became a coach, I started to notice these young guys couldn't get out of that locker room fast enough. And he said, Dave, we had an expression, first out of the clubhouse, first out of the league. Whatever you're going to do in life, you want to be a student of the game, whether it's baseball or it's broadcasting or it's doing what you guys are doing right here. You want to be a student of the game. And that's what I think made a lot of those players as great as they were. And the you know, same thing you look at, if you see somebody who's been real successful in the business world, he's a student of the game. And that's, that's how you grow. That's how you become you know, you're successful. But I've, and I've used that before when I've, I've talked to young people, especially you know, when you were working with me. Um, now, you know, I, I want you to watch whatever it is we're doing. Now, then I think you'll verify this, that when we finished up his internship, I gave him his grades, you know, whatever the paper was I had to fill out, and I handed it to him. Now then, you tell me what I did wrong and what I did right. You've got your grade. I can't change it, and I'm not going to grab it out of your hand. And I want you to tell me what I did wrong and what I did right because I felt like I could learn from you. And uh, I think most of my interns were pretty honest. One guy said he didn't learn anything at all. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> Why did you feel that way? And he explained, okay, you know, all right, I understand. That's how it is. But um, so if you're going to be successful, be a student of the game. Thanks, Dave. I like that a lot. Yeah. You know, be humble enough to know that you don't know everything and to continue to, to, to better yourself by, by learning. Well, Dave, there's, there's one thing that we want to end this show with. Okay. We're going to do a version of what's called this or that. Okay. We're going to give you two things. All right. And we want you to pick one or two of those things that you would okay. rather have. Feel like I'm being inducted into the military <laughs> again. <laughs> It's all surrounding sports, yeah. and so it'll be kind of a, a lightning round thing. Okay. You ready for it? Oh, this or that's my answer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, all right. yeah. All right. All right. NBA or college basketball? College basketball. Coach Greg Popovich or Coach Phil Jackson? Phil Jackson. Wide receiver or tight end? Wide receiver. Skiing or snowboarding? Oh, God. No, snowboarding for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Super Bowl or college football playoff? College football playoff. Boxing or MMA? Boxing. Who's more legendary, the Los Angeles Lakers or Boston Celtics? Boston Celtics. Hail Mary or Flea Ficker? Hail Mary. Running or weightlifting? Weightlifting. Formula One or NASCAR? NASCAR, I guess. 12-team or 14-college football playoff? 12. 
Fast break or half court offense? Fast break. Sunday night football or Monday night football? Uh, Monday night football. Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas? I like both of them. Um, I met Jack Nicholas, so I guess I'd have to go to Jack Nicholas. NBA All Star Game or NBA Finals? NBA Finals. <laughs> Gritty defense or high scoring offense? Gritty defense. Nike or Adidas? Uh, Adidas. Blitz or cover defense? Uh, blitz. Golden State Warriors, current team, or the Chicago Bulls, 1990s? Uh, Chicago Bulls. Crossover dribble or behind the back pass? Uh, behind the back pass, I like that. Uh, slam dunk or three-point shot? Uh, slam dunk. Tennis or golf? So I like both. Uh, I'd say golf, though. Tom Brady or Joe Montana? Well, I've met Joe Montana, so I'd have to go with Joe Montana. This is a good one right here. Uh, James Harden's step back or Steph Curry's long range? Steph Curry's unbelievable. Yeah. NIL, yes or no? No. Ron James, Michael Jordan? Oh, Michael Jordan. Masters or the U.S. Open? Um, I think the U.S. Open. Rebound or steal? Uh, steal, I love steals. The helmet catch. The David Tyree or one-handed catch, Odell Beckham? Uh, one-handed catch. Offensive play calling or defensive strategy? Uh, defensive strategy. All right. Thanks, Dave. I'll tell you one more story if you want me to tell you. But uh, I, uh, as I told you earlier, I was a big Dodger fan. And Dave Elmendorf was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame uh, back in the late 90s. And, and I was invited to go up there for that induction. And it's in New York City. I um, went to uh, uh, the memorabilia store there in New York, not very far from our hotel. Walked up there, and I uh, was looking for anything that was a Brooklyn Dodger uh, souvenir. And they had a World Series ticket. And the uh, World Series ticket was from 1956. It was the Dodgers and the Yankees. That was the year that Don Larson threw a perfect game against the Dodgers. And it was the last year that Brooklyn played in the World Series. It was also the last year that Jackie Robinson played for the Dodgers. They traded him at the end of the year to the New York Giants, and um, Jackie refused to take the trade. Retired, and he went to work for a, uh, a big coffee company. Well, uh, that guy had that ticket, and I bought it. And that night I went to the event, and I had it stuck in my uh, pocket. And as I'm looking up on the stage, uh, Jackie Robinson's widow, Rachel, is sitting up on the stage beside Grant Taff. And uh, so this, the minute it ended, I went down to the stage and I yelled at Grant and I said, came down and I said, would you ask Mrs. Robinson, it was in a plastic sleeve, you ask her if she would sign this ticket. And he said, yeah. So he walked back up there and he pointed at me and she looked down there and she looked at it and he said, he wants you to sign this. She got up, came down, and she sat down on the edge of the stage signed the ticket, and talked to me for about 15 or 20 minutes. Wow. And I could see why she was such an inspiration to Jackie. Uh, and when I, sometimes I talk about sports, and I talk about it, if you've seen the movie 42, um, that it didn't exactly follow the book. Uh, a lot of it was very true. That Philadelphia manager did make all those racial comments. One of the things they left out, Jackie got on, the, uh, got on first base in that game. And the guy that was playing first day for Philadelphia came over and he was kicking the bag and he, and this was in the book, he, he looked at Jackie and he said, I don't like what they're doing to you and I'm sorry this is happening. I hope you make it. And I wish that uh, that, that had been in the movie, but it wasn't. And the other thing that wasn't in the movie, but was in the book, is that anybody that roomed with him said that, uh, every night before he got in bed, he would get on the side of his bed and he would pray, he prayed every single night. But, um, you know, to sit there and talk to her, and uh, I mentioned that I'd visited with Pee Wee. She said, oh, we thought the world of Pee Wee Reese. But uh, that, that was a special night for me. And I still have, now I called the guy the next day that I bought the ticket from, and I told him what had happened, and I said, well, what did I do to the value of this ticket? And he said, uh, how much did you pay me for it? And I said, I paid you $250 for it. And he said, you bring it back right now, I'll give you $500. And I said, it's not for sale, and I still have it <laughs> to this day. I won't sell. I'll probably give that to my son. He's a big Dodger fan as well. 
But uh, that, was a, that was a special moment for me in sports, getting to meet her. And uh, if you haven't seen the movie 42, you need to go see it. If he had failed, if he had failed to do what they expected him to do, it would have set us all back a long way because he needed to make it. And we as a, American citizens, we needed for him to make it. That, that helped us so much move forward. Because uh, I was growing up, I saw a lot of that. A lot of it would make you sick to your stomach. But uh, Jackie helped us with it. That was probably a divine appointment there. Yeah, you know, it probably was. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know it, but uh, A&M played uh, UCLA in football back when Jackie was playing at UCLA. He played against the Aggies. Did he really? Yeah, he did. <laughs> in, in football? Yes. Oh. He was a heck of a football player. And UCLA won the game. And I think Jackie had a whole lot to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if we're going to lose to anybody, I, I can be okay with us losing to Jackie yeah, Robinson. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So, <laughs> yeah. so anyway, but uh, I, uh, I've got a, a big jersey that hangs in my office, and it's got a big 42 on the back. And my wife and I just celebrated our 42nd wedding anniversary. We called it our Jackie Robinson anniversary. <laughs> so, Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, let me say one more thing here because I think this is important. Um, I, I planned when I retired, I was going to stay busy. And one of the things that I was inspired to do was by C.J. Allen, who you owned Allen Honda Oldsmobile in Cadillac here in town. I went to see, um, over to the Honda store one day. Mr. Allen was walking out, and I said, where are you heading? And he said, well, I deliver meals on wheels on this day every week. And I said, really? And so I, that day I went home told Leanne, I said, Mr. Allen does meals on wheels. When I retired, I wanted to stay very busy. And one of the things that I did, I, I started driving for Meals on Wheels. And I have met some really wonderful people, uh, humble people, that uh, their situation in life is not always comfortable. Um, and I've made some dear friends. I've lost some of them because some of them have passed away since I started delivering. But the reason I'm saying this, give back. You know, volunteer, do something, give back to the community you live in. The other day, I was uh, delivering to a lady that um, uh, she's been on the, on the list now for all five years, and uh, you know how you, and, she, and she was driving up, and she was in a pickup truck, and it would turn out to be her nephew. He was bringing her back from a shopping spree, and um, and she got out, and I said, "Hey, Miss Hickman, how are you?" And we gave her a hug, and I said, "Who is this fine man?" She's well, that's my nephew, and I said, "You've got a wonderful aunt here, she's a great lady." He said, "Well, who are you?" And I said, "I'm Dave South." Oh, you're the Aggie guy. And I said, yeah. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I deliver meals on wheels. So you're giving back. That was a nice, that was a nice compliment. And I had, but I want, for you two guys, I want somebody to, you know, come up to both of you someday. So, so you're giving back. I know you little league coach. And so you're giving back. And uh, I'm, not, I'm sure you do some volunteer work. But I think that's what we need to tell young people. When you get out and you're on your own, give back. Volunteer to do something. Uh, don't just sit at home and twiddle your thumbs. I think that's great advice. Yes. And and I think that right there makes the world a better place if we would all heed that advice. I, I agree. And there are a lot of people down there at Meals on Wheels that uh, they're donating their time. Love that. Yeah. Well, Dave, we can't thank you enough for coming on this show and, and sharing your experiences with us, the things that matter most to you. Um, and I truly think that you'll be a great inspiration as you've always been, especially in, in our lives here. But just by listening to this talk today, I think that uh, you'll inspire our dudes that listen to our podcast. And so thank you for that. And, and hopefully you'll join us again. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, sir. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode. I appreciate you guys uh, tuning in. I know Cameron and I, man, we had a lot of fun with this episode. Um, shout out to Dave South. Uh, the legend. Uh, the voice himself. Man, he, we had a great time with him. Yeah, so we talked about a little bit in the interview, guys. Go check out Dave's book. You saw me on the radio. You can find that on Amazon. I got a link for it in, in our show notes. And the best thing about this, especially on Memorial Day, all the proceeds that Dave profits on this book goes towards the Wounded Warrior Project. So all the more the reason to go out, buy this book, support a great cause, and just have a great read. But until we see you guys next week, we'll see you on the next episode.